Hey, it's Thomas Frank. I've just got a quick note for you before we get into the show. If you've been enjoying the Inforium or my videos over on YouTube, then you, my friend, should get Nebula. On Nebula, you get ad-free versions of both this podcast and my videos, along with exclusive stuff like extended versions of those videos. And it's not just our stuff that you're going to get. Dozens of other creators are on Nebula, including Ali Abdal, Wendover Productions, Braincraft, Tier Zoo, and lots more. Nebula gives us a chance to experiment, and since everything's ad-free, it's also the best way for you to get our content. Head over to theinforium.com slash nebula to sign up now. I gotta give you a ring. I got that. You gonna propose to me? Uh-huh. On the podcast? Uh-huh. I'm so tough. Uh-huh. It's, oops, I didn't want to turn my video off. I want to turn the mic off. So we're muted. We're married now, I think. Like Bermuda. Yo, if we get married, Anna's gonna be pissed. I feel like, okay. So is Ashley. I feel like now my waveforms are less big than before. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. <clears throat> what does that even mean? Maybe you just moved slightly. I, I could know. have moved slightly. Maybe it's gone. Well, I was wondering, like, maybe Skype does it. I have no idea. I blame Windows. Why not? Uh, all, oh, but you Skype didn't install, isn't even... didn't install Gentoo. I should have installed Gentoo. You're right. We are not even... I'm not even seeing you in this video. I'm getting, like, a loading... You can't see me? No, I'm getting, like, a little loading bar over your face circle. You know? Um... I told you it was... It's Microsoft. How about now? Um... Anything? Yeah, still a loady bar with your face. Can I have a pizza, please? Can I have a pizza, please? Oh, there you are. You see me now? I see you now. Dope. All right. Can't see me. <laughs> you can't see me. Okay, I think we are <clears throat> basically ready to yeah. go then. I'm, I'm recording Juan on both Cena. things. Oops. Juan Cena? Yeah. <laughs> Is it like John Cena's Mexican half-brother? Yeah. That sounds pretty cool. He likes to eat a lot of dinner because that's what Santa means. <laughs> Wait, what? The Spanish word Santa is dinner. So Juan Santa is John Cena's brother who just eats a lot. And John, that's why he's not a wrestler. John Dinner? Yeah. Whoa. Are you trying to say people who eat a lot of dinner don't wrestle? Not they because sumo wrestle. Yeah, I was going to say, let me tell you about Chanko Nabe. Well, that's that's John Cena's other cousin. John Chanko Nabe? Uh... uh <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> he's not as well known, but he's big in Japan. Yeah. In both ways. <laughs> yeah. Should we just start like this? I don't even know. I don't remember what we've said. <laughs> well, I guess I guess that's the intro. Welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast, everybody. Woo. What's up? <laughs> so today. Uh, we're going to do an episode I've been wanting to do for a while because I get asked by a lot of people about starting a blog. I, I can't imagine why. Yeah, that's weird. It doesn't make any sense that's to me weird. in any way possible. I mean, can you figure... Out of all I the things know, one could ask you. Why ask me about blogging? But actually, Martin, you have blogged before too. That is true. So I think that you are qualified to help me do this episode. Oh yeah, I will be speaking from anecdotal experience. I'm not even making stuff up. Nice. Whoa. So I, I wanted this episode to basically be like the answer to all the questions I get emailed about. That way we can just say, hey, here's that episode we did that answers all of your questions about blogging. Yeah, it's called Efficiency College of Business. Boom. Also, Martin, you got that um, redirect thing working now, right? Yes. Sweet. Yes. So before we jump into all these blogging questions, you can find the show notes to this episode over at CIGpodcast.com slash 125. 
Yeah. That will take you directly to the show notes page for it's this so episode. It's so convenient. How did you build that, by the way? Uh, with a simple redirect thing. Like, did you code it yourself, or is it like some it's based library on some or stuff that I like mostly copied from some dude years ago and altered? You know, that's basically how that's all how, that's how programming works. It's 2016. <laughs> Don't build something from scratch. You're wasting time. I actually, yeah, I had to learn that the hard way. It's when like I was, maybe it's a point of pride, but it's just, what are you doing? Don't rebuild the wheel 40 times. Yeah. Well, okay. There is something to be said for rebuilding the wheel if to you, learn how the wheel works. If you have a good reason to rebuild yeah. the wheel, then yes. But I was just like, I want this to function. Hey, look, this is simple. And by looking at it, I now understand how it was built and could rebuild it myself. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember um, when I was a senior in college, we had this capstone class where we had to do a big project. So I built this web app called AM Panic, which was basically like my Twitter wake up system. You'd have to tell it you were awake. Otherwise, it would email something really offensive to your grandma or something like that. But I tried to code the database connection thing myself and just broke everything. I was not aware you have to close connections to a database as well as open them. So, of course, it crashed my server the day I was supposed to present right when I was walking up to present. So basically, I'm there testing it in class before my presentation. It works. It's fine. It's running a little slow. I don't know why. I get up there just broken. Well, that's what happens (laughs) when you have no border control on your database. Yeah. You would have built a wall and you would have closed up that database (laughs) connection. There would be no problem. So who would have paid for it? They're not sending over their best database (laughs) connections. (laughs) But I learned after that uh, that for years and years there had existed basically little libraries that I could have just called and it had a database connection thing already built into it that was 10 times better than anything I would have ever built. And I look in the PHP documentation and it's like, yeah, don't do this. Someone already built these things for you. Just use them. So, yeah, that was that's my experience with trying to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh. I guess we can start there because some people have asked me, how do I start a blog in terms of like the platform I use? Uh, And I've actually been asked like, dude, can you tell me how to literally code a blog from scratch? I can't tell you that. Yeah, I can't tell you that either because that would require a a lot of stuff. But the cool thing is I've been blogging on a platform called WordPress since, oh, 2000. And I think my first blog was 2009, actually. Because College Info Geek was was 2010, but before that, I had just this fun little personal blog during my freshman year where I just put some stories and stuff. And WordPress is open source software. It's developed actively by probably thousands of developers. Uh, It's got a huge community, and it's awesome. I mean, there's obviously other ones out there, but it's the one that I know. And you have two choices with WordPress. There's WordPress.com, which is... Basically, like the company who built WordPress spun off this little secondary company and they like host WordPress on their own servers and you can do that for free, but it's much more limited or you can download the WordPress software yourself and put it on your own server and you basically have 100% control over it, which is what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So that is our, uh, our recommendation for platform. There's other stuff out there. There's Squarespace. There's... Uh, I don't know what else is blogs, Tumblr. I yeah, guess. I suppose but, you could you could make a Tumblr and redirect yeah. your domain name there, but depends on what you're trying to Tumblr's do. Tumblr's kind of weird, though. Yeah, 
I'm not very experienced with Tumblr. All I know is there's there's a lot of weird things on Tumblr. Hey, if you're but, trying to share the right niche of stuff, <laughs> it could be the best location. But it not, could be not for what I'm doing. Yeah, for what you're doing. So I'm interested in how you chose your blog's topic. Maybe you can tell me the story behind your blog. Everyone knows the story behind mine, or at okay. least what mine is. But okay. one of the questions I get often asked is, uh, how do I choose my topic? Because there's so many blogs out there. I don't know how to stand out. You know, and they're they're kind of coming at it from like I want to at least build some sort of audience. Yeah, standing out in a sea of like 7 billion people, you know? It's a tough job. Yeah. But once upon a time, I worked with my friend Will on this cool music collective thing back in my hometown, and that was awesome. But it was mostly his idea, and I helped with it and did a bunch of stuff. And then later on, I started writing some articles for College Info Geek, and I really liked doing it. But working on these projects that weren't inherently mine at the time really made me want to have my own personal project that I could say, this is my baby. Mm. I want to take care of it. I want to make a website of some sort because I'm a web developer. I know programming and it makes sense to start there. But what's it going to be? And I settled on a language learning blog because I basically went to Iowa State to learn French, more or less, because foreign languages and linguistics are super, super interesting to me. And they, I don't know, I think it was the most unique part about me compared to my friend group. So it stood out in my head as being something I could share Mm. that not everybody around me could share. And since you end up learning by teaching, I figured if I have a language learning blog, I will become better at language by the nature of having to research these topics I'm talking about. And by learning what kind of things I need to share with people, I'm going to get better at learning it myself. Yeah. And did you, so you started, and your blog was Polyglot, for people who don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you can get to it at polyglot.com, P-O-W-L-Y-G-L-O-T.com. Yep, still exists. Nice little pun there. Yeah, it's a polyglot, meaning somebody who speaks essentially four or more languages, mixed with owl, because I was inspired for a good punny name while watching Avatar, The Last Airbender. There's this episode (laughs) with a cool old owl guy that runs a library or something, and I was like, Polyglot has O and L, and that's almost O W L. Is the owl's name in the show a pun too, or did you just? No, I just got. Just an, I just owl really came into your head. I just really liked Avatar, and I was for that whole week or two. I was trying to come up with good names, and I was looking for puns. I was looking for catchy things, <laughs> and it just it came to me. I'm curious. Did you start Polyglot when you were still a French major, or did you do it after you had switched to MIS? Well. Technically speaking, I was not a French major for more than a couple of months because I switched to MIS before classes even started. Oh, really? Yes. I had decided before classes even started, what if I just learned French also and Mm -hmm. then got something on paper that said I was really good at something that can pay off my loans better? But, you know, we talk about that and other things. Basically, I decided that having a piece of paper that said I spoke French wasn't any more useful than being able to say I speak French. Yeah. So I just went into computers because I'm also good at programming and that stuff's fun and makes money. Though you've kind of changed your mind on that whole piece of paper thing recently, haven't you? Well, in what way? Well, because when we moved, you said you wanted to get some sort of certification. Oh, yes. I want to get certified in my Spanish speaking ability. That's kind of just a point of pride. I want to. Well, plus that lets you do other things, right? Well, that one, 
I don't know what it will let me do. There is a certification I want to get there for teaching English, which will let me do things. Oh, okay. I want to get both. The Spanish things kind of just to That's solidify because you know how the more you become an expert at something, the more you like downplay how good you are and you think that there's so much more to learn and you're really, you're probably not more than average. Yeah. That's how I feel about Spanish all the time. So for years and years, I was like, I, I can barely speak any Spanish. <laughs> and that's just not true. So I was thinking maybe if I get it on paper at a specific level, I will stop trying to trick myself into thinking I don't speak Spanish. Either that or you'll get the piece of paper and then you'll yeah, feel then like I'll, a fraud. Yeah, you got I'll a piece like, of paper. I'll be like, this test was easy. It was wrong. It doesn't they handed me the wrong test. This was yeah. probably for kindergartners. You know what? Probably. But I don't know, but that would be cool. So the one you were talking, because I think you were talking to me about some certification that would allow you to travel to a different country and teach. Ooh, yes, that's the the English teaching one. It's the okay, so that's CELTA. The one. It's like the, I think it's the most respected teaching English as a foreign language mm-hmm. certification. Can't get it here, but I'm very interested in the topic. But those certifications, those pieces of paper don't cost me like 15 grand a year. Yeah. At university, plus a whole bunch of loans I'm taking out. I'm just going to pay for those. And that would have been, and that's pretty different than getting a French major because you want to travel and teach English, which a French major doesn't exactly. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily let you do. say you can do that. Mm-hmm. And like I was taking loans out for Iowa State, so I figured I want to pay back loans. I want to learn languages, and I yeah. want to hang out with my friends. So I should do the computer thing because that'll most easily pay back my investment. So you started your blog knowing you were going to major in MIS, knowing that you would likely go into an IT field after college. Yep. I do get a lot of questions from people saying, hey, does my blog need to be based on my major or based on my professional aspirations? And yours wasn't. So Not at all. Was there some sort of justification in your head as to what it would do to help your career or did you just do it for fun? Well... I suppose there were these kind of side justifications. Mm-hmm. One, it will make me a better writer. It will make me a better communicator in general because writing out your thoughts teaches you to kind of think about how you're wording those thoughts, yeah. how you're going to communicate them. And that helps later in live speech, as I learned in speech class, just because I was, I can speak a lot more eloquently now that I've written. I don't mm. get confused. I know what I want to communicate, but also it looks cool on your resume to say I have side projects and I do things. Yeah. Because if you've got two people that are like, my GPA is 3.5 and I do stuff. And one of them says, I put all my time into my grades. And the other one says, yeah, but I've also got this super dope side project where I'm learning like 5 trillion languages and I'm teaching people and I've got connections. And you're just going to look a lot more interesting. And people want to hire interesting people because they want people they want to talk to every day mm-hmm. when they're working with you. They don't want, I guess he'll do the job, but it's going to be really boring <laughs> around here. And I, God, I hate it when it's boring around here. I have all the skills. And if you hire me, I will not talk to anybody. I'll get Subway for lunch and eat at my desk. Yes. Please hire me. Hey, in a lot of situations, <laughs> they're going to be like, this is exactly what we were looking for, to be honest. I don't want to talk to you either. But I figured standing out was a good thing. Yeah. So that was exactly why I started. Well, okay. It wasn't the only reason I started my blog, but I knew that a college tips blog and just being a blogger in general wasn't going to be the same thing as like a network plus certification or a CCNA or something going into the IT field. But 
when I started my blog, and I, I will admit when I started it, I had this initial idea that maybe it would be focused on information system students because that was me. Uh, but I ditched that very, very quickly. If you go back to the yeah. archives, you'll see that my first posts were time management tips and then sleep and then like a backpack review. Yeah, you ditched it immediately, <laughs> literally immediately. But, and for anyone who doesn't know, I started my blog because I had this job on campus. It was called Cyclone Aids for us because with the Iowa State Cyclones, but I think they just call it student orientation assistance as a general term. And I had to learn basically everything about the college, basically everything that a student is going to ask me coming into college, you know, what, what's the workload like, where do I go to solve this problem or to, you know, get that fixed. And because I was learning all that stuff, I was just really interested in improving myself as a college student. And I'd found this blog called hack college, which was basically like a life hacker for college students. It was made by college students. And at the end of my freshman year, they put out this blog post saying, Hey, our founders are getting the boot because we're a for students by students thing. And that means we need fresh meat. So send in a resume, send in a guest post, and maybe you'll get a coveted spot on the staff writing team. And that was, I had basically the same thoughts as you. This is going to look cool on my resume as a side project. Because yeah. if I can go into an interview and say, hey, I'm not an English major or whatever, but I am a staff writer for this very large blog I think I thought that would sound really cool. Yeah, it's cool. They you want know? they want to hire people in mm -hmm. most cases, and you're making yourself an interesting person. Yeah. So obviously, I did not write for that blog because, actually, you know what? If people go to Hat College, they may think that I do write for them because if you look over in the sidebar and it shows like our writers, I'm there. Wait, right now? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Because Hat College hasn't done much to update their site in several years. They uh. they still have like writers. But I get the feeling that, okay, for one, all the founding members are gone and all of the second class of editors and writers are gone. It's all new people. It's under new owners. College, and I think they class. they still write stuff, but I think they have less of like a laser focus on keeping everything coherent like we do. Okay. You know, and I don't want to like speak for them, but that's just my perception. So at one point in time, probably like 2012, they just basically took all the guest writers who had ever guest written for them and shoved them into the staff writer section as well. So oh. I'm there. Stefano nice. from College Topia is there. My friend Robbie Williford there. Oh, I think Robbie Williford actually does write for them on a regular basis. But yeah, over the years, you know, I started College Info Geek because I had written that guest post and I didn't want it to go to waste. So I was like, I'll start my own blog. Screw it. Uh, and then I just I was like, I'll still connect with them, even though they rejected me, because it would be a good connection. And I guest wrote for them probably three or four times. So yeah. my picture is there in the sidebar. <laughs> yeah. So I think it might be useful to go back into the history, because when people look at a successful blog and they think, man, I would love to do that. It's really easy to think like this is unattainable because it's it's so overwhelming. Like, oh, my God, 500 posts and this big of an audience and all these crazy tech features and amazing design. If you're thinking that and you want to start a blog, I invite you to go over to the Wayback Machine. And I think you can find this at archive.org slash web, I want to say. I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, it's slash web. If you put any website in there, the bigger the website, the more you're going to get. It will give you snapshots of what that website looked like in the past. So you can put 
collegeinfogeek.com, or you can put paligot.com, or you can put, I don't know, nerdfitness.com is one that I used to look at when I was a beginning blogger in there. And you can see, oh, when they started this site, it is just as crappy as mine looks right now. And yeah. there's like two posts and beautiful thing. a dog is reading it and no one else is reading it. So I think it's really helpful to see the progression of the people you look up to in blogging or anything else. But I think with blogging, it's really cool that you can literally go back and see what their work looked like in the beginning and just kind of track that progression over time. So definitely check that out. So one other question I get is how do I choose my topic? Now I know you were like super interested in languages. I was really just kind of in that ecosystem of college success because of my job. But a lot of other people maybe don't have an interest that lends itself so easily to career success, maybe is the way to put it. Yeah. Like I think like foreign language tips make sense as something you could easily sell as impressive. Yeah. You know, in college success. Yeah, like, I had like an obvious answer. <laughs> Lucky me for already knowing my passions. Yeah. But what if you're interested in like, I don't know, like video games or D&D or something? Like, is it worthwhile to make a blog about something like that? Well, I don't see why not. I mean, there are video game review sites and some of the bonuses that I got from my website have nothing to do with the real content. You could ignore the content. It made me a good web developer. That mm. was a good skill for me. But what if, what if you're not a programmer? You can learn good design. You can learn good copy. You can learn good marketing skills. You can make good connections and learn networking. Yeah. You can kind of improve like a dozen skills blogging. Mm -hmm. And you know this because you've done, you've did everything on your blog for a long time before I coded the latest theme. So you were just yeah. juggling tons of different skills you can improve. So even if nobody cares about what's on your website, you might still benefit from it. So that's a thing. But... Yeah, exactly. I mean, look at how many YouTube personalities just play games and say funny things. They're doing fine. That is true. I think there's all these ancillary skills that you learn, even though you're writing about, I don't know, your favorite Sonic villain or something. Oh, I'm interested in thinking about <laughs> that now. Clearly it's Shadow. I don't mm, know. Well, I'll think about it. The edginess is great. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, when you're writing, I mean, yeah, you're teaching yourself how to write better. And that, that's probably the easiest skill that I can point to and and show improvement in. Because if you go back and look at my first posts, except for the very first one, which I went back and cleaned up, they are a lot worse in uh, terms yeah. of writing quality, in terms of the way I format the content. Things now, it's just so much more readable. It's so much better. You can point at that and be like, holy crap, that's a lot of improvement. And that's the product of 500 odd posts written over the past six years. You know, and even if you do less than that, you're going to become a much better writer. I think it also makes you a better communicator because like you said, your speaking ability was improved through your writing simply because you were able to more coherently put together an argument or a set of thoughts. Yeah. You actually know what you think because mm -hmm. a lot of people are on autopilot and they don't know why they think certain things. But if you're going to explain it in a blog post, you need to know why you think that in order to tell somebody. Yeah. You can't just say, do it this way because I said so. It's smart, I guess. It's almost like you're taking the role of a teacher a little bit. Yeah. So you're having to structure some thoughts for communication to other people who may not have the same background knowledge that you have. Oh, and, and you know, if you think about it, without that skill, would I be talking right now on this podcast? Doubt it. Probably not. Look at that. 
Magic. How did you start on this podcast in the first place? Five questions episodes. That's right. Yeah. Let's just play some video games and answer Freestyle questions. Some answers. <laughs> but that came about because you had written on this blog before and you were doing Polyglot. So there was like a connection there. Hey, I've got tons of weird benefits that came from Polyglot, and I didn't really make any money off that site. I got a I got a signed book from from like a, a Polyglot guy, Gabe Weiner. I have the copy of Fluent Forever signed he sent me. I've been featured in blog posts about language bloggers. I've got connections with the people who made Influent, this cool language learning game on Steam. I have like all the DLC for free and stuff and because I'm spreading the word. Their yeah. game's awesome, by the way. You know, lots of cool things that boosted my confidence, that boosted my skills, and that boosted my networking that I would not have gotten had I decided, uh, yeah, but I'm an MIS major. What's the point? Well, I would say, arguably, your career was helped by you starting Polyglot, Polyglot more than yeah. anything else yeah. in school. considerably so. Because you started Polyglot, and... Did you write for me before you started Polyglot? Because yes. I know you planned Polyglot yeah, for a I while did. before you started it. I have this giant wall of text about the six language skills somewhere on College Info Geek. That's right. The The concept behind it, I'm still pretty much behind, but the writing's probably bad. Don't look at it. <laughs> don't look at it, but we're going to put it in the show notes don't, anyway. No, don't look at it. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes <laughs> anyway. Oh, no. I think it's still a good post, actually. It, and I'm not sure. It may be one of the ones I went and cleaned up as well. Oh, okay. I, I can't well, remember. Maybe. Potentially. So maybe I've saved you some embarrassment or maybe Ooh. I haven't. But you did that. So you wrote a couple of posts for me. Then you started Polyglot. And with Polyglot, I remember you wanted to make these like crazy language pages, like resource pages. Yeah. Where it would automatically pull in all the resources you'd mentioned on the blog before. So that taught you some of the intricacies of how WordPress works along with building your theme from scratch. And just like information architecture, how do you organize and mm -hmm. conceptualize that in the easiest to digest manner? Yeah, and because you did that, which I think I may have helped you design Polyglot at one point. Yeah, I think at one point, at least one of the versions. I don't remember. Yeah, so that was our first experience working together there. And that basically told me, oh, you know how to code in WordPress way better than I did. And that was getting right around the point where College Info Geek was successful enough that I started to realize it's no longer in my best interest to do everything myself anymore, which was really hard to get over. Yeah. It's it's kind of funny now because now having a team is awesome, and I love the fact that Anna can illustrate better than I can, that you can code better than I can. It's so cool. But right around that time, I was so proud of the fact that I had done everything myself up until that point that letting part of it go was really tough. But I also knew it was necessary. Yeah. So you coded the entire redesign of College Info Geek. And basically everything people can see on the site right now was coded by you, photoshopped by me. And then that, plus your Flying Hippo website that we talked about oh, in yeah. uh, one of the five questions episodes, got you your web development job. Yeah, so me building Polyglot taught me to do, to do what I needed to do to build the College Info Geek theme which I built with a different with a different cool framework called Volatile, which got me two testimonials from both you and the creator of Volatile, which I put onto the IWantToFlyWithHippos.com website, which I built using responsive skills that I learned building College Info Geek. Yeah. And those got me a job at Flying Hippo, and I'm not there now. But as you can see, this weird trail of things coming from a personal blog has gotten me both an opportunity where you fill out a resume and you send it into people and you do fancy 
regular business stuff mm-hmm. and the cool entrepreneurial kind of stuff I'm doing with you right now. Yeah. So it's not just because I'm working on the internet right now that this was beneficial. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another really cool thing that I remember, and this blew my freaking mind the first time it happened. About a year into running College Info Geek, I got emailed by this marketing company and they wanted me to run a contest to give away a copy of Adobe's Master Collection back when they weren't doing Creative oh, Cloud. Yeah. And I, I was like, this must be spam at first. But it turned out that it wasn't. It was literally a company that had been paid by Adobe to do this marketing campaign. And I did that. Not only did they give me a free copy of the Master Suite. How much did that cost at the time? Wasn't that like two it grand? Was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was $2,000 for the whole thing. Uh, now I probably could have gotten by with like just Photoshop and a couple of other things at the time. So I don't know. I don't know if I would have ever bought the Master Collection yeah, you myself. You didn't need it, but you still got it. But that was awesome. Cool. I was like, start this little blog, and then that happens, and getting access to that software was like this ridiculous injection of creative ability like unlocked for me. So that allowed me to, to just increase the quality of things I was doing from then on out. But that also started a relationship with Adobe, which culminated in me getting to fly out to California for free twice to go to events that they were running. There was uh, Adobe Max, which is their yearly conference. And they were like, hey, we want you to go cover it. And I basically went out there in like a journalist capacity, took pictures and wrote a post about it. And then they had this Adobe Days event where they brought in all these student bloggers to basically serve as a think tank. And we got to tour their entire company. I got to meet a bunch of people that worked there and they pitched us a bunch of ideas about new features they were working on. And they wanted to know like, would this be useful for students kind of thing. So... I think that just serves to highlight that no matter the topic you choose, as long as you're consistent and you write high quality stuff, you start to build this sort of expertise and this sort of brand. And that can stand out to huge companies like Adobe uh, and Sony was another one. And that can lead to crazy events. It can lead to making really cool connections and you never know where that leads. Yeah. So that's just another benefit that I want to to bring up the other benefit that people always ask about is money well so naturally, we can contrast this pretty well because your blog was really successful for you in different ways but did your blog ever make you any money i was very proud at one point to make my first dollar on amazon oh, affiliate for real? sales oh I nice made, i made one dollar <laughs> and then i was like you know what most people don't make a dollar on the internet That's so true. i still felt successful just having done something interesting mm-hmm but no, I didn't really make any money after that ever. Yeah. I got those other benefits. Like, I mean, that book I got and the software that I got, those those are worth money. But I, yeah. it's not my job and it was never close to it. Though your blog, once again, led to a, basically a giant freelance contract yes. with me. So it, it led technically, to much better. It there's that. It didn't directly. Polyglot did mm-hmm. not make me money. Yeah. But me doing Polyglot has made me money indirectly. And I, I can tell you, I've I have gotten a few emails over the past couple of years, like asking, would Martin be able to build a site for me? Ooh. So there could have been more money. See, I usually say that. no because I know look you're too that. busy. Yeah. But I want to break this down and just kind of like talk about it realistically. So yes, it is definitely possible to make money with a blog. And I'll break down the ways you can do it in a second here. But I want to start out by saying it's tough. Because, okay, it's it's tough to do it in certain ways, not so tough to do it in other ways. Because really what you're doing is you're using the internet 
just one specific communications medium to create value for other people. And there are ways to do that that don't take very long. So I guess we should break down what you can do to make money online. Number one, if you have a blog, you can make connections with people who might want to hire you for freelance work, like me hiring you for web development. Or um, one thing I've done in the past is I've hired someone to do original music for me. Hmm. And I hire my girlfriend to do art for me. Uh, and there's tons of people. Like if you go on on t- not Tumblr, Twitter and you type in freelance illustrator, you will find a gazillion people who are freelance illustrators. Most of them have a Tumblr where all their work is or uh, like a Behance or a personal portfolio. And a lot of them will say, hey, I take commissions. So I think that requires a little bit less of an audience because you just need like a core core group of people who are really passionate who want stuff from you. Another way to make money online is through various forms of advertising. So that could be banner ads on the sidebar of your blog or above, like any any big site you go to, like Forbes, for example, just has a ton of these ads everywhere. Or you can do it the way that I do it with affiliate marketing. And that basically just means uh, I'm referring people to a site and if they buy something, I get a commission of that. So for example, like you said, Amazon affiliates. If I'm like, hey, oh, here's a good example, our dorm guide. If you go over to our dorm guide, all the items on that page are linked to Amazon. So if you click like the mini fridge that we recommend and you buy it, we would get mm, 6% of the purchase price, I believe. Something. Something like that. And that comes out of Amazon's profits. Yeah. It doesn't so it doesn't, the price. doesn't change the price. And with a lot of the deals, a lot of the companies that I do recommend, I'm able to give like a coupon. So because the company knows, hey, if we can get more people it's okay if we make less money than normal off of that sale because we're acquiring more customers than we would have gotten otherwise. So the margin goes down a little bit, but it's made up for by the increase in overall sales. Yeah. Now a little asterisk asterisk by affiliate sales here, a very important part of this for long-term success in any way is do it honestly. We we don't just cram sites with tons of affiliate links to products we don't believe in, care about, or use Mm -hmm. because that would be bad and no one would trust us and yeah. the world would be bad yeah i would say affiliate stuff is where a lot of the shadier stuff is online with making money because a lot of people will try to trick people into buying things that they're affiliates for or they won't disclose the relationship and yeah, this is the greatest thing ever i have a secret relationship <laughs> with this company who gives it to me for free yeah exactly i feel fortunate that one of the people that I ran into or that I started reading online first was a guy named Pat Flynn who runs a blog called Smart Passive Income. And he's always been like ridiculously transparent and open about his relationships with people that he's affiliates with. So the one example that I, that really stood out to me and I basically took from him is he's got this guide on how to set up your first website with WordPress. And in blue text, he disclaimed like, hey, if you use the hosting option that I recommend, I will make money. So he, not only did he disclaim it, he literally like put it in blue, put it out there and like made it impossible not to see. And that was really different than some other people I had seen online who just kind of like hide it in some weird asterisk somewhere on the footer of their website or something. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to be like that because I want to be really transparent about my relationships with things like that. So that's if you go to my personal website guide, there's the exact same thing in blue text. The relationship is disclaimed on our resources page. It's like lit written there at the bottom of the page or at the top. can't remember. And I think that's a good thing to do. Yeah, because don't be a shady business. <laughs> over, I mean, 
at the end of the day, the greatest thing you have is the trust of your audience. And if you exploit that for gain now, then oh yeah, there will be no gain in the future. Trust and loyalty are mm-hmm. the greatest capital of an online business. Don't yeah. Plus, it's just being a good don't person. Don't sacrifice it. Yeah. Also, if you want to sleep at night, and maybe you can. Mm-hmm. I'm not you. I would feel bad. I mean, obviously, it's a good thing to do, but that does bring about one of the realities of any kind of advertising-based marketing or money making. You have to have a pretty sizable audience to make it work because, and just like, we'll throw some random numbers out there. Let's say 2% of the people who visit a particular page on your website that has an affiliate thing or has an ad on there will actually buy something. Well, let's say uh, you can make, I don't know, $10 off of one sale of an affiliate thing. To make $100, you need 10 people and 2%, it would be what? you're making me do math right now. <laughs> the math is tough Yo, i can't I, do I've it i've had a calculator phone for like six years now i can't do this anymore well let's see here 10 is one percent of a thousand so it's two percent of 500 so you need 500 people to go to that page right i, I think don't, i don't know uh, my math skills have atrophied real bad i'm pretty sure it's 500 pro- it's probably true <laughs> we're gonna go with it we're rolling with it yeah and if i'm wrong whatever the, the numbers don't matter it's a metaphor it's true yeah it is a metaphor so 500 people going to one specific page on your website is is actually a lot. Especially if like one page of your website is meant to make money, usually it's not going to be the most popular one. So your website as a whole needs to get thousands probably. Yeah, you've got to have a big audience for mm-hmm. this to work out. Yeah. And that's so, probably still true with like banner ads and stuff. I don't have any experience with that. Do you know the numbers on those? I think that banner ads are even tougher because you've got money ad block with. also. Well, people have ad block, that's true. And Honestly, even as somebody who makes money through ads on YouTube, I recommend Adblock and I can give you a reason why. I was literally on some Android site the other day researching my latest video, which was on Android and iPhone apps. And uh, I wanted to get a screenshot and I was like, I was thinking that Adblock was kind of breaking the website's layout. So I turned off my uBlock plugin and refreshed the page. And the moment I did, Malwarebytes pops up and says, Malware blocked and quarantined because yeah. a lot of ads have malware in them. Yeah, there's some shady stuff going on in those ad networks. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So I, and I'll probably get flack from other online publishers for saying this, and I am an online publisher, so it seems against my interests to say it, but I recommend the use of an ad blocker mainly as a, like a component of your basic online security. Yeah, oh, this is a good example, that, that trust thing. More important yeah. than making a few more ad dollars. And the sad thing Nobody is a lot of website dollar. publishers don't have control over the ads that get put on their site because they don't, they're not literally going to Clorox and Tide and whoever and being like, hey, can you put a Tide ad on my blog and give me a hundred bucks? No, there's like no they're getting, man. yeah, they're, they're signing up through an ad network and then the ad network gets ads from whoever and who, I don't even know how many middlemen there are, but at some point... Somebody can just slip some adware into an ad. Yeah, and it takes And the website owner just it. has a plugin on their site that brings the ad in. So that's why I use an ad blocker. And if you have sites that you do trust, you can add them to your whitelist. So I know people who they'll add Reddit to their whitelist because they like Reddit and they want to see Reddit continue to be successful. That's cool. If you have websites that you do trust, sure, add them in. But I think it's like the default should be you should be blocking ads. Not to take money away from publishers but to keep yourself safe. 
Yeah. You know, I don't even know what would happen if I didn't have malware bytes. I don't know. I have no idea because I was using my Windows computer, you know? Yeah. So ad block aside, the way that ads work on websites is they are paid out normally through what's called CPMs. Now that stands for cost per mille. What do you know? Do you know Latin pr- pronunciations, Martin? It's uh, M I L L E. I would only mille. I would only know how to guess. Okay, well, cost per mille. I don't know why it's like that because what it is is cost per thousand impressions. So basically, an advertiser will say, "I will pay you two dollars CPM," which means you'll get two dollars for every one thousand people. Let's see your ad. Yeah, you need big numbers. So you can see why ads online are very, very tough to make money from because you need a crap ton of people. So I can tell you, uh, and I'm not allowed to tell you the exact specific numbers that I make from YouTube. That's against their terms. But uh, it's common knowledge that between 25 cents and $4 is the CPM range for ads on YouTube. And so that's that's the, the range you'll see on things like Social Blade it's generally known in the industry that it's like between one and $2 is the normal, you know, if it's Christmas season, you might get crazy CPMs. And if it's like the worst so drop in the summer, it might be depending bad. on the channel, the time and the views. Yes. And the totally things. channel as well. So yeah, if you're a toy channel and it's Christmas time, you're probably bringing in bank, but I'm not a toy channel. Yeah. But my ad rates are definitely better in August than they are in June. Yeah. And that because makes sense. Back to school. Right. People really want to advertise back to school stuff. Uh, But just just say for the sake of example, it's a dollar CPM. So for every thousand people that watch my content, I will get one dollar. So if a hundred thousand people watch my videos in a month, that'd be a hundred bucks. Yeah. You know, (laughs) numbers are required. (laughs) Yeah. You need a lot. Ain't going to pay for all the stuff you did to make that. Yeah, exactly. You need a lot of views. So that's why it's really tough to make money through ads. And for a while, I actually did not monetize my YouTube videos because I had this belief that, you know, if I have an ad in front of the video, then people are going to know I put it there and they're going to, you know, some of the goodwill will be taken out of it. And then they might be less likely to go to my website after watching the video. And then a friend of mine actually had a conversation with me when I was in San Diego once and uh, we were just having a couple of beers and he's like, dude, no one will give a crap if you have an ad on your video because they perceive it as YouTube serving up an ad, which they are. And they will just skip it or not. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot you can skip them. That's really not even that big of a deal. Just skip it. So, yeah, I enabled ads on my YouTube channel and I generally make anywhere between 800 to 1500 a month, usually on the lower end. But like times like now, it's really good. So that's pretty nice. You know, it's not money that's going to pay all my bills, but enabling that is and that's actually one of the things that I try to do, uh, which I didn't do in the past, is I try to have multiple income streams. And I think that's any any smart business owner does that. Because if one goes away, then you're screwed. Yeah, but if you, you don't have want your business to put all your business yeah. eggs in one yeah, if you only have one basket. Yep. If you only have one and it goes away, you're screwed. If you have ten and one goes away, ooh, that hurts. Ouch. But you're not going under, hopefully. Yeah. So so you've got ads, you've got affiliate relationships, you have freelance work that you can do to find clients. The other ones that I do, I speak at schools and I have a speaking page right in the top of my website. So if you go to collegeofwiki.com and you're like, oh man, I'm an event coordinator at this big university and I think Thomas would be a great person to bring to our schools, you can book me and then I'll make 
a few thousand from that probably, um, which is actually on the lower end of speaking fees, believe it or not. Corporations can pay like $15,000 and up. Ooh. So yeah, being a college speaker actually limits your income, but it's okay because it's what I like to do. Yeah. And then my book is free on my website and that's where the majority of people buy it. But I did get a lot of requests after it released to have a print version. So I taught myself how to edit documents for print, do all the margins and all the justified text, everything's, which is really, really hard actually. But I published the book in print via CreateSpace, which is Amazon's print division. And now people can buy that on Amazon. And at first I was like, no one's going to buy this or it'll be like $10 royalties every single month. But one thing that I think was pretty smart on my part is whenever somebody signs up on the website to get the free copy of the book, two weeks later, I send them an email saying, hey, if you like the book and you want to help out, go write a review on Amazon. And I think all those reviews help it to sell more on Amazon. Oh, yeah. So at this point, the book actually that makes way a few hundred a month. people just like looking around for Kindle stuff or mm-hmm. looking around for books somewhere. Yeah. They, they might run into it now. Now, the thing is, the book, it's, it's kind of funny because the book is approaching being the highest reviewed uh, study skills book on Amazon, like, Hashtag humble brag. At all. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of weird. It's, it's kind of weird. But no. I seem to be awesome. <laughs> okay, no, the, that is awesome, and I'm freaking <laughs> proud of it. Barbara Oakley's book is still has more reviews. But the weird thing is that it doesn't have the sales that would match that amount of reviews. And the reason for that is that I will never market the book on Amazon. Like, I'll never try to sell that. Yeah. Because I want people to get it for free on the website. So it's like, it's just on Amazon for the people who, one, want it on print, or two, just won't happen to see my website ever, but will happen to find it on Kindle. You know, and I made it as low price on Kindle as I possibly could, 99 cents. Yeah, because that's not, <clears throat> the more important thing is that yeah. people get the words you wrote, mm-hmm. really. So since I don't market it on Amazon, it will never rank really, really high on Amazon. It actually ranks pretty low for the amount of reviews it has. It's kind of like this weird relationship, but uh, it still does sell decently well. So we got book sales, we got freelance stuff, we got advertising of different types. Um, you can do podcast ads. We haven't really done anything with that. Yeah. But uh, my other show, Listen Money Matters, actually does do that. But so. again, it requires a lot of listens. Yeah. Right. With yeah. all of these things, advertising, book sales especially, anything where you're not having like a one-to-one relationship with a client who's going to pay you a good amount of money, you need a decently sized audience Yeah. to make any sort of... well. Any sort of money, like living is even a bigger number, but just like yeah. decent money at all. Yeah. So you know, like the need... quickest, the quickest way would be to figure out a way to build relationships with people directly and mm-hmm. do client stuff or things like that. Like I've yeah. made way more money through web development projects now than I ever would have made through like Amazon affiliate links on Polyglot. Yeah, exactly. So that brings out a, another factor for choosing your topic, because if money is something that you do want to make, then you will do it faster by picking a topic that is related to a skill you have that is marketable. So web development for you, right? Yeah. Like if you wanted to do like a web development blog or something. Conveniently, I got to tie that in because I built the site, but it would have been easier had I positioned myself Mm -hmm. as a fancy web developer. Yeah. Or no, if you're like a freelance illustrator or something, you might want to have like an art tutorial blog. In fact, I have... I've told Anna, like it would be probably a good idea for her to have 
an art blog or an art tutorial Ooh. YouTube channel you or something. You can make like courses. You can make yeah. like an art course and sell those. That's mm -hmm. another thing. But if you just want to write about something you're interested in, then just realize that your monetization opportunities will probably come later as you build a bigger and bigger audience, which I think is fine because the one thing I've realized is that a lot of the people, probably the majority who start blogs, they generally quit pretty quickly because it's just one of those things that you start it and you start writing. And to be quite honest, not a whole lot of people are reading like right away. Yeah. So it, it hurts your ego. Mm -hmm. And it's just, well, it's just tough too. It's tough to keep writing consistently when you're not seeing a whole lot of return on your investment. Yeah. You know, I, like a whole year of time went into college info geek before like the first real uh, catalyst of success. Yeah. Which was being featured on life hacker. It was like a whole year, you know? So you have to be really consistent. You have to just put in your time, get a lot of at bats. And if you're not blogging about something that you care about, you're probably not going to stick it out. So that's why I tell people, if you're picking a topic because you want to make money, it's probably not going to go anywhere unless you think you can spin up some freelance business really, really quickly. Yeah. It just takes a lot of time. You, you need you the know. stamina for the topic. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't, well, actually I do know you thought about quitting Palaglot many, many times yeah. for various reasons. And yeah. eventually you did. I, I had other stuff to do and I, I have other stuff to do right now. I'm mm -hmm. still doing cool language stuff, just not yeah. on a blog. And I'll admit it. I thought about quitting College Info Geek many times as well. There were several different reasons, getting really busy in college. Uh, as I got near the end of college, before it was making money, I was starting to think, I'm going to graduate. I won't be relatable anymore. Why am I doing this? I should probably just find a job or find something else to do that's more adult, quote unquote. Yeah. You know? And even now, some days it's like, oh, this is so hard. So there's there's always like this difficulty. And the less you care about the topic, the more the difficulty is going to weigh on you and influence yeah. your so decisions. Don't like delude yourself into thinking, I'm going to make a blog or a podcast or a video. All I got to do is just like, just write whatever I think or turn on the microphone and just mm -hmm. say a bunch of nonsense. It takes, it takes a lot of work and yeah. effort. Even this right now, it's not like I was born able to speak this comfortably on the microphone. That's not how it works. Oh, I was. It takes, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Tom had a microphone when he was born. <laughs> he was freestyling. Dude, I kid you not. Uh, I don't know if you'll believe this. When I was a kid, my parents would constantly tell me to speak up. They would tell me to stop mumbling and they would like say like I was a mush mouth and I was. <laughs> so I was actually very bad at communicating as a kid. Yeah. So you can't just flip a switch and be like, I'm going to get rich on the internet. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. And you know what? You just, I just remembered something when I was a kid. Uh Oh, I think I was just, you know, taking on some of the humor of me being a mush mouth and mumbling all the time. And I was talking with my mom about what careers that I was be least likely to have. And I think the one that we came up with was like sports <laughs> commentator. Now, you'll never be a sports commentator, Thomas. And I'm not a sports commentator, but this is basically the same thing that John Madden does. Yeah. You know, and next week I'll just be doing an after tough acting to acting, you know. I don't even put know. Put that what, right on your feet. I don't know what you're saying anymore. You can't. You can't tell what John Madden says? Nope. <laughs> I, don't, I don't speak John Madden. That's not a dialect. Well, you see, the ball was on the 90-yard line. I don't Actually, know these we... words. What's ball? What's uh, 90? What's yard? Well, the ball is this thing with air in it that they kick around. Okay. Or throw around. All right. Sometimes kick. And right. then there's a... Oh, so it's like a ball. Paint. I there's, got it. So these guys, right? 
they have like these weird stretchy pants on. Sounds cool. And they're really big. And they're like, I'm going to get this air filled thing to that end of this grass field. Sounds cool. And then there's a lot of people in the stands who are very, very interested in that happening. And then there's like equally as many people in the stands who are very, very interested in that not happening. Ooh. And that's basically football. All right. I'm going to get on the Google later. I don't want to learn about this. If uh, any ESPN talent reps are out there, you know how to contact me. You know, if you thought that was a pretty compelling description of the magic of football. Yep. (laughs) Very magical. All anyway, right, what, what what else we got here? Questions and stuff. So the one, okay, so what I wanted to move on to now is how you build the audience, because I have had the pleasure of meeting some people who actually went from zero to having a pretty big audience really fast. Zero to hero in no time. Zero to flat. hero. Yeah, one of those people was Vincent Nguyen, who was on one of the episodes of the podcast. I think it was it might have been episode fifteen. Uh, he had this blog called Self Stairway. It was like a self improvement blog which is a tough niche actually to break into because there's so much competition out there yeah but he went from like nothing to a pretty big audience really really quickly and i think the way he did it was primarily through networking so i don't even know how he reached out to me because a lot of people will just reach out and ask to guest post and guest posting used to be a pretty good strategy for building an audience but they do it in this very me first way where it's just like, hey, I really want to guest post on your site and I've never heard of the person before. Vincent didn't do it that way. Vincent started following me and I could tell he was following a lot of other people. He was sharing their work, commenting a lot, uh, basically just providing a lot of value to other people. And then it would be like a soft reach out. Just, hey, you know, really like your work. I think I got an email from him, you know, before we ever asked to guest post or be on the podcast or anything. It was just a, hey, really appreciate what you're doing kind of thing. So he built all these organic, great relationships with people who had big sites. So I think what you can take away from what Vincent did is number one, provide value to other people and then reach out to them and don't be intimidated by how big their platform is. And I mean, I can say this from experience now, uh, I'm never going to get an email from somebody who doesn't have a big platform and be like, why would you dare email me? Like no (laughs) peasants. (laughs) Nobody does that address. Except for maybe Keemstar, he would probably do that. But if if a, if a blogger doesn't get back to you, it's not because they don't like you or they think you're a peon. It's just because they're very busy, which is me almost all the time. Uh, but number two, if you reach out, the first priority is to provide value and not to be asking for something in return right away. And I think Vincent did that really, really well. And then later on, organically, you can, you know, once you've kind of built up that connection, you can ask, hey, can I be on the podcast? Or... You know, I have a really good story to tell on the podcast. Or can I do a guest post for you? I can't remember. Yeah, you might have worked really post well for, well for your audience or something. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it, Venn diagrams with what they're doing and what you're doing. So it's not just random. Yeah, exactly. And my friend Stefano Gandini, who runs College Topia, he was very similar. I think he reached out. He said, "Hey, I started a blog like yours. You were an inspiration to me." He didn't ask for anything at first, though. It was just letting me know. You know. Yeah. And I checked it out. I think it probably took me a good long while before I ever got back to him because I'm terrible with emails. But eventually I was like, hey, good stuff, man. This is awesome. And yeah. That was it for a while. And so then eventually didn't, like send three more emails. Like, <laughs> did you did you get my email? I said I I said yeah. I made a blog. Mm-hmm. So uh, now Stefano is in my biweekly mastermind group. So I talk with him every couple of weeks. And this month, actually, he will become a staff writer on College of Book Geek. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at that. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah. You definitely, I'm sure that everybody who's successful on the internet already gets enough emails that say, hey, I really want you to help me make money at no, mm. no expense to me. Yeah. Could, could you do that? I, want, so, I like money. Do you like money? I like money. What? can't believe you like money too. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the number one way to start building audience is to network with other bloggers. And not just the big ones. I think there's a lot of value in building relationships with people who are around your stage in the game, your level of growth. Yeah. Because you're going to help those people. Yeah, like it's peers. much easier to get a hold of them just because they probably have more time and they have less people trying to get their attention. There's less competition for attention there. And uh, you're just going to help each other along the way. Yeah. But also, if you can start providing value to people who might have bigger audiences, you never know what can happen. Like some crazy stuff has happened for me. So, yeah, I guess the bottom line for that is just like the ads and mm-hmm. just like affiliate stuff. It's you got to have integrity. It yeah. really helps the whole personal branding your own website stuff work out well. Mm-hmm. Now, the other things that stick out to me as ways to build your audience and improve your blog is number one, to write consistently. Like I, I think you should write at least once a week when you start out. And you, you can look at other examples of people who don't write very often or make videos very often. For example, uh, CGP Grey makes a video every six weeks. And there's always like the Cinderella story of somebody just striking it big with one crazy viral post. Yeah. But uh, we've talked about you the equal odds rule that. here before. The more things you throw at the wall, the higher the likelihood that something will stick. And yeah. consistency is what will get lots of things thrown at that wall. So I remember when I was... A, about a year and a half into College of Geek, or maybe it was like a year and two months, August 2011, I wrote 30 posts. Yeah, and there, there was like uh, sometimes like more than one a day. Wait, is that, are there only 30 days in August? Mm, there's 31. Mm. There's 31 days in August. Man. I know that because that's my mom's birthday. Oh, okay. That makes, that's a good, I trust that. Yep. But that's a lot. <laughs> I've never wrote that much. I never had that much content going. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's so. Intense. It was like the year of basically nothing, crickets, uh, a dog, my mom, and the dude at the NSA reading my blog. And then May of 2011, which was like 11 months after I started the blog, I got featured on Lifehacker because I did that hanging desk post. And I was interning at the big financial company at that time. And I was like, oh my God, I got something to go viral. I'm going to just go as hard as I can on this. So I was writing like, I, I, I was writing every day. I didn't post every day, but I was writing every single day and June, July, August and September all had either 30 posts or near 30 posts. Yeah. So I just, I was trying to do as much as I possibly could. Thug motivation Mm -hmm. 101. And a lot of those posts didn't do good or they didn't, you know, go viral or become successful, but every once in a while one would. And the things that I actually get more excited about than like a viral spike where thousands of people come to your website in one day is writing something that you're really proud of that you know is super high quality that over time you get that just easy slope upward of people coming to it yeah because it, it's you know it's not sexy it's not this giant firework but it's just this uh, this this resource that becomes established as very high quality yeah and eventually it'll make it to higher up in google because of that mm-hmm. and if you look uh, actually i can bring up our analytics real quick and show what our top posts are it's stuff like that yeah you know the viral stuff it's popular for a yeah. day it's like a one-hit wonder goes kind of away situation mm-hmm. 
And if I look here, if we go to all of our pages, uh, the top posts, 27 college tips I learned sophomore year and my 42 things I learned freshman year, the personal website guide and uh, a few other ones that are just like these, these huge resources that are thousands and thousands of words that I put a ton of work into. None of them were instant hits, but over time they just started to get more and more attention which is really cool because actually if you put college tips into Google now, um, I believe the 42 things I learned freshman year comes up as the first hit. Yeah. Which I, I dreamed about that for years and it only just recently happened. Beautiful. It was awesome. So consistency. And then also this is my philosophy with videos. Get 1% better every single time. So just be looking for little things you can improve. Doesn't have to be within the content either. It could be within your blog's design maybe. Yeah. So I know you were those resource pages, language pages. That's like a little tiny improvement or a design improvement or, hey, this time I'm going to try spacing out my paragraphs to make it more readable. Yeah. Or this time I'm going to make little tweaks to my images. I know a long time ago, it's like a really little tiny thing. But with my images and blog posts, I would process them to have this little vignette around them. So it just kind of looked like they were sunk into the page. And I always thought it was like a really cool design thing. Well, doing that actually transferred over to videos now where I have like this really good eye for where a vignette would work and where it wouldn't. Yeah. So it just like, it makes things look cool. And I think little aesthetic touches can help a lot. So I guess those are my big three ones. Consistently write, improve everything, just 1% every day, just make tiny little changes that make things better and then do a lot of networking. And if you do that, your audience is likely to grow and you're likely to build a network of bloggers who you become personal friends with. And uh, even if you chose a topic that has nothing to do with your major, it may end up contributing a lot more than you expected to your success, either within your career field or with something you didn't expect in the first place. Yep. I mean, I didn't expect to do this. Yeah. I don't think you did either. <laughs> not, not at all. Yeah. So do we have anything else we want to cover here? Well, there's a couple little things maybe. So number one, do I put my blog on a personal website? So say it's thomasjfrank.com. Should I do it like slash blog or should I get a whole new domain for it? Collegeofuki.com, you know, as an example. And I think you can go either way with this, but I think you need to strategically think, what do you want people to perceive this site as? So do you want it? Do you want them to think of you as a writer, as an expert in something? And like, do you want your name to be the the main thing associated with what you're creating? So, for example, Mark Manson, yeah, or uh, James Altucher. They're both writers. They're both really well known online, and I believe their sites are literally markmanson.net or yep, and jamesaltucher.com. Uh, if you want to do that, then do that. But if you want your publication to be known for a specific topic. Like for me at first, I wanted it to be a college success blog. I thought it would be better to name it something. I was like, I want it to be named College Info Geek. Now you could still have thomasjfrank.com slash blog and then just have it be named College Info Geek on the page. But I think it is better and more cohesive to the overall, overall look and feel of what you're building to have the URL match. Yeah. What you're creating. And it means that if you wanted to switch into other things later, it'll be a little easier branding wise. Mm -hmm. 
just yeah. because it can have its own URL or something. Or maybe you decided you're not interested in this anymore and you don't want your name to be associated with it, but too bad it is. Yeah, that's true. One example I can think of is my friend Joel Runyon, who runs the Impossible brand. You probably see me watching or wearing those Impossible shirts all the time. His blog used to be joelrunyon.com slash two three. It was really weird, but it was called Blog of Impossible Things. But a while ago, he switched everything over to impossiblehq.com, which you can do that. You can switch from one URL to another, but it's a real pain in the butt. And you have to make sure you do all these crazy redirect things, which yeah, I mean, you and I know how to do. You'll lose a lot of Google yeah. search result rankings. and Well, search result rankings and, um, and just, just like audience you know, recognition. Imagine two years ago, somebody shared your post on Twitter and it was oh, joelrunning.com yeah, slash two, three slash now. whatever. You have to make sure that link is redirected to the new link. So you got to set that up, which is possible. But then the other thing is like any social media accounts, any kind of numbers, stats like that, they all go away. Because, you know, Facebook yeah. doesn't... So it's possible, but it is not convenient. Yeah. So I would think... Think first. Think about it. Not don't, too long. Don't let it keep you up at night if you've been, say, running a blog for six months and you, now you want to change. I mean, you're going to look back in six years and be like, this was a non-issue. I should have just done it. Yeah. So uh, don't worry if you need to do it. But if you can think strategically beforehand, go ahead and do it. And the last question was, how do I manage my time between blogging and school? Same way you manage time between everything. Yeah. Play less video games. It's tough. <laughs> it is very tough. I mean, I'll be honest. I spent very, very many nights in my dorm room or out of my dorm room, but a lot of times in my dorm room while my roommates were playing video games and having fun hanging out, I was working on my blog. Yeah. So society has this gut, at least our, the society I'm in. I'm not going to speak for all societies, but there's this gut reaction as soon as you get home, as soon as you're done with school or work, these things that the man forces you to do, you're just like, you know what? I'm not going to work anymore. I'm going to relax. I'm going to put on Netflix and I'm going to play games and I refuse to be productive. Mm -hmm. If you want to do something else, you need to cut out some of that time. Sorry, it's going to feel like you've been working all day. And sometimes that's because you have been. And sometimes I, I do that all the time. I work weekends half the time just because I want to. And that's, yeah. you have to be willing to give up free time. You have to relax less. There's no exception to that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's the Shia LaBeouf, like, just do it answer, which is useful, but well, only somewhat useful. It's like an overall, <laughs> accept this. I think that last week's episode actually pairs nicely with this question because we were talking about chronotypes yeah. And how everyone has different times of the day to do something. Maybe you could do an experiment where, say, you schedule your classes a little later in the day and then you use the morning as your writing time. Yeah. Maybe you're really, really good at writing in the morning and then you can just power through your classes later in the day. Yeah. So first, uh, accept yeah. that you got to work a lot. Mm -hmm. Second, figure out how to work efficiently. Yeah. And you, you may it. not you may not sleep as much as you should. <laughs> I mean, I could say I, uh, that summer that I was at principal writing 30 hours. Uh, not 30 hours, 30 articles a week. <laughs> don't, that's a lot. Don't write. I was writing 30 hours a week. I might've been, I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Well, I do know that I worked quite fast at that job and I did spend some of my time at work writing Ooh, because they, that's efficient. Yeah. I mean, don't get fired from a job or fail <laughs> a class, but that job, they evaluated me on what I got done. Not, you know, are you literally smashing your fingers on the keyboard at the exact right website for eight hours a day? They were like, you have these responsibilities. And like any good intern, 
I would get my work done and I would sometimes ask for extra assignments and I took them on. But I also just had time where I wanted to write and my work was done. So I did. Yeah. Uh, and there were times when I was in class and I was like, I'm going to finish up this blog post because this this like, I'm, I'm getting nothing from this class. So, you know, maybe that maybe that's going to make uh, some people who think you should always pay attention 100 percent in every class mad. But and life that's short. what I did. You know, I'm not going to advise you to do it, but that's what I did. I sometimes wrote in class and I wrote at work. And I also found part-time jobs that gave me some time to write. Like, like the my, kind where you're like sitting at a desk. Yeah. For a, my IT job. Time. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An IT job's perfect for that. Sometimes there's nothing to fix. I worked at campus web development and when I worked there, I didn't have time to blog because you basically were on and you were working the whole time when you were there. But when I worked at the solution center where you just took support calls, there was a good amount of downtime. So I'd take a call, tell somebody how to reset their internet and then write a couple more sentences and just get them done. Yeah. Boom. So since this is like the same as most time management thing, I'll, I'll link to some extra stuff. I'll look for some extra specific time management stuff and link to it in the show notes. Okay. A couple other things that will be in the show notes. Number one, I've got this blog post called 14 Reasons Why You Should Start a Blog in College. So if you need some extra reasons as to why it might be a good idea, you can check that out. And then um, my personal website guide is the most up-to-date resource on the website for actually building the site if you want to go with WordPress, which I like that. Um, You could also go with like WordPress.com if you want something that's cheaper for like to start out with. But I like the customization and just the ability to do anything you want with having your own server. So yeah, that's what I've always gone with. And that'll be in the show notes. Uh, And then there's also a resource I wrote a while ago, which is the longest post I've ever written on the site. It is the complete step-by-step build uh, guide to building a successful blog. Now that also has step-by-step instructions for building the site. They're a little bit less updated than the personal website guide. So that's why I mentioned that one as well. But the blogging guide in addition to the building stuff, it has a whole extra section on marketing, on topic development, on tons of questions oh, that nice. I get asked. So I was just like brain dumping everything I knew. And it's a few years old, but I still, I think it's very, very useful. So we'll check that out. And one more thing that I forgot to mention is that a blog may not be the only thing to look at if you want to start making content online. Because you and I are recording a podcast right now. Oh, that's true. And I spend most of my time making YouTube videos. So I think blogging is really useful because you you become a better writer. But I find myself watching way more YouTube videos than reading blog posts these days. And I know you're basically like, you read books and you watch Pokemon in Spanish. I don't intake you, a lot of internet stuff. Yeah, you're not an internet media consumer. So I'm I won't old. Ask. I'm yelling at the kids on my lawn <laughs> right now. But I am a heavy internet media consumer. And what I consume for the most part are podcasts and YouTube videos. And occasionally I'll read a blog. So if you're like, hey, I really have this interest in this topic and I really want to share what I know online, a blog is an option. But maybe a podcast might be better for you. Or maybe a YouTube channel might be better for you. If you have a smartphone in your pocket and 15 bucks to buy a lav mic off of Amazon. Yeah, please get at least decent audio. That's that's really important. Yeah. yeah, I'll probably make a video pretty soon about my specific gear. But the gear I use for videos is what a full-time YouTuber two years into his career has purchased. 
So yeah. it's it's not what you need to start out with, which is why I say smartphone and a loft mic, just get that. Philip DeFranco, who has like 5 million subscribers, he still uses lav mic. That's what his audio runs through. So yeah. you can make do with it. And our summer productivity video, that was using a lav mic. Yep. Pretty decent audio. Uh, and I don't want to get into like tech stuff. I just want to put the idea in your mind here. Just think about it. Think about other ways that you could share what you are interested in with other people. Yeah, because... maybe maybe what you're doing doesn't work well written down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, I mean, that's that's what Bob Claggett talked about in the, uh, the DIY episode, how he was writing blog posts, and then he realized that his particular style of sharing information and telling a story works better through video. So he transitioned to that. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. You got options. Cool. So hopefully this answered most, I'm sure not all, but most of your questions about starting a blog. And uh, once again, you'll find the show notes for this episode over at CIGpodcast.com slash 125. Everything will be linked up there. Check it all out. You can also find a link there to rate and review this podcast on iTunes if you enjoy it and you want to help support the show. So thanks for listening and we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.